Well, welcome again, guys, on a cold Sunday morning. Um, I'm kind of a wuss when it comes to the cold, but I'm really glad to be here. Uh, This morning, we're going to jump back into our series in the book of John. Okay, so you can have your Bible handy. Before we jump in, uh, I want to tell you a quick story. So this was probably, I don't know, two or three weeks ago, maybe a little bit longer. It's recently. I had the privilege of visiting one of the gospel communities, uh, led by Dorian and Rosie and Kevin and Tracy and that crew. And it it was really special for me because I I spent a season um, part of that gospel community for, I don't know, six, eight months or something. And then for about a year, I hadn't been present at their gatherings, at their their midweek gospel community meetings, you know? And so I had the privilege of, of, of visiting with them on an evening and pastorally, it was such a cool experience because being away for a year, I mean, obviously I see them, we interact other times, but being able to see this specific community together um, and their rhythm of being together midweek to like grow as disciples of Jesus and learn more about what it means to follow him in every area of life and all that. It was so cool to see like how deep the community had gotten it's almost like when you're removed from something, you kind of have the snapshot in your mind, and then you fast forward a year, and you, 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 know, you come and you're present. It's like, oh, wow, like, these people like, genuinely love each other, and they care for each other. And it's really cool. One of the things uh, that's kind of been a marker of our communities is we really desire to honor one another. Like, we take the scriptures seriously. Like, like if you read some of the, uh, the New Testament books, it talks about this idea of outdoing one another and showing each other honor. Like, that's pretty intense language, like out, like one-up each other and honoring each other. It's kind of cool, right? <clears throat> we take that seriously. We really want to create a culture of honor where we love each other, we honor each other, not just with the words, but with actions. And one of the ways that we practically do that is whenever we have an opportunity to, um, to celebrate someone's birthday, right? I mean, if you guys know where I'm going with this, but one of the things that happens quite often in our communities is taking intentional time to whenever it's to celebrate someone for whatever reason, whether it's a birthday or a graduation or you name it, to just like honor them and, 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 to, and to affirm them and speak truths over them. So it's kind of something that's been a marker of our communities, which I absolutely love. It's wonderful. The reason I bring that up is because I got to witness a unique version of that through visiting this specific gospel community, I don't know, a few weeks ago. And what they do, it's kind of cool. What they do is... They, they kind of, they know whose birthday's coming up, and they know what they're, they're going to be really intentional about the time, and everybody picks one word to describe the people in their community. And then based on that one word, then they'll affirm them and, and go more in depth about that one word. I was like, that's really creative and cool, guys. And then they, you got, some of you guys are in this group, and you're giggling at me right now. And then they, they, they like write a card with that one word, and they give it to the person. It's just this really intentional, wonderful time. And it got me thinking about this idea of, I think so oftentimes when we, if we were to like make a list of the words that we would describe ourselves with, oftentimes I think it probably looks a little different than how other people experience us. So bear with me this morning. I kind of want to start our time together doing this with you. Like if you were to sit down and, and make, a, like make a list of words that describe you, what would they be? Like, think about it for a second. I like the awkward silence. I don't know about you, but think about this. Like, what would describe you? 
a list of words. And then imagine for a second the people who know you, who are close to you, if they were to make that list about you, what would those words be? Words to describe what you're like. Question for you. On that list, where does the word servant fall? Like, like numerically, right? Like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Where would servant be? The reason I bring that up is because today's passage, it's actually, it's one of the more famous stories in the life of Jesus. And it's this story where Jesus, he makes it abundantly clear that one of the words at like the very top of, of, of the, his list of, of words that describe what he's like is the word servant. The word servant. So, without further ado, grab your Bibles. Let's jump in and read it. John chapter 13. That's where we're going to be today. What would describe you? Where would, where would the word servant fall on your list? I see grimacing faces. That's, I, didn't, I didn't say this to make you feel guilty right off the bat, okay? Because <clears throat> remember what I said, your experience of yourself is different than other people's experience of yourself. So before you beat yourself up, Let's see what the scriptures have to say, okay? John chapter 13, before we jump in and start reading, I'm gonna pray for us, okay? Will you pray with me, for me, for us? Um, Holy Spirit, we just invite you right now. Every heart in the room, just opening ourselves up to you, God, to hear from you directly. You're a loving Father, gracious abounding in steadfast love. So we do, we open our hearts to you, Holy Spirit. We ask you to lead us, to guide us. I ask you to help me this morning to love and serve. Our desire is to hear from you, to be taught by you, to be led by you for your glory and for our good. So we open our hearts to you. We love you, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Okay, so John chapter 13, we're gonna go through verses one through 20, okay? I'm gonna read a little bit, talk a little bit, read a little bit, try to stay with me, okay? I'll I'll try to not talk too fast. John chapter 13, starting in verse one, here we go. If you need the words, they'll be up here for you. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Okay, really quickly. Do you remember what it, when, we, when it refers to his hour? Do you remember what it's talking about? Okay, it's talking about his, 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 his moment of glorification, his moment of the cross. It's talking about the crucifixion. It's talking about the death, the execution of Jesus for the sins of the world. Okay, so when it says that his hour had come, do you realize what it's saying here? It's saying, like, he, Jesus knows it's coming. He knows it's right around the corner. Just to kind of give you context, this is the last night of Jesus' life. Okay, he's about to have the Passover meal with his disciples in the upper room. And a few, a few scenes later, he's going to be betrayed, and they're going to arrest him, and they're going to flog him, and they're going to crucify him. This is, that's hours away at this point. He knows it's coming. He knew his hour had come to depart this world from the Father. Okay, I just want to like 
before we dive into the rest of the scripture, like, let's just kind of try to embody the story for just a second and recognize, like, Jesus fully God, fully man, okay? He, he can identify with our humanity. So just consider for a second, Jesus, he knows his hour has come. He knows his crucifixion is at hand. Like, consider for a moment for you. What would you do if you knew your hour had come? Personalize this, man. What would you do? How would you behave? What would you say? People often talk about like, okay, if... Um, if your house is on fire, what are you going to do? You're going to grab like, the, the really valuable things, like maybe the family photos or whatever, right? Like, in the same vein with that, like if you knew your hour had come, what would you do? Let's see what Jesus does. Verse 2. Now, when it was time for supper, supper remember this is the, the, the Passover meal, right? When it was time for supper, the devil, really quickly, people don't like to talk about the devil, Here he is. He's in the Bible. Okay, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray Jesus. Verse three. Jesus knew that the father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with a towel tied around him. Verse six, he came to Simon Peter who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you don't realize now, but afterward you will understand. Verse eight, you will never wash my feet, Peter said, And Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Okay, really quickly. Famous story, right? We're not done, but famous story, the foot washing. Uh, This idea of foot washing, many of you have probably heard different teachings on this and what this means and all that kind of stuff. Just to give a couple, just to give a little bit of context for those that don't have a lot of background with this. Consider for a moment, we are 2,000 years ago, okay, ancient Israel, in Jerusalem, there's, there's no like Nikes, there's no Doc Martens, there's no Yeezys, like they're wearing sandals, okay? And there's, it's dirty, <laughs> there's dirt everywhere. So if it's not raining, it's gonna be really kind of dusty and whatever, like you get dirt all over your feet. If it is kind of wet and raining, you're gonna have mud all over your feet. That's just how it was. So I just want you to picture this idea with, feet, with, with foot washing. To give a little bit of context, I wanna read you one really quick quote from this Bible commentator, G.M. Burge. He says this quote, the task of foot washing was so menial that according to some Jewish sources, Jewish slaves were exempt and the job kept for Gentiles, that means just non-Jews. So lowest on the totem pole, essentially. <clears throat> At the very least, all our ancient sources show that foot washing was a degrading and lowly task. Listen to this. When Jesus takes off his outer clothing and wraps a towel around himself, he's adopting the posture of a slave. Strong language adopting the posture of a slave. When we talk about foot washing, people try to give like a modern equivalent. 
Like, okay, well, like the modern version of, you know, washing their feet would be like wiping their butt or like people talk about all these different things. Here's the truth, like straight up, foot washing, it was this, it was this task that was reserved for the lowliest. There's not like a modern equivalent for this. Okay, no matter how stinky our collective feet are in the room, washing our feet, although, yes, it's an intimate thing, and it's, it's just not the same. There's not really a modern equivalent for this, okay? And like I said, it's this task. It's reserved for the lowliest, the least important of the slaves. So get the picture. You have the most important person ever. Okay, the most important per- person ever, God himself in the flesh, and he identifies with whom? The lowliest slave. The servant. And then in verse 8, it's, he says this. He says, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Um, one of me and Ebony's very first dates, this is years ago, okay? This was my senior year in high school. We were both part of uh, ASB in high school. And we went on this, we went on this trip. It was kind of like a date. We were kind of like into each other. We were spending a lot of time together that evening. Like we were kind of just enjoying each other's company. But uh, the way the kind of evening was working was the whole ASB class um, was going on this field trip to go see cats, the play cats. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Um, if you've seen cats, uh, it's like, I can appreciate the, um, the talent it takes to dance the way that those, those performers danced, but not my thing, okay? <laughs> Didn't know that going into it, just excited. So you're, we're, we're taking this huge bus, like, you know, like the charter bus, not the, not the yellow bus, like a nice bus, the whole class driving down to LA, going to this big, fancy, nice theater. So you got to dress nice. Like the, the teachers tell you, like you, like even what I'm wearing now, like, no, you got to, you got to put some slacks on, dude. You got to like do, go do it right. So I'm like, I'm wearing the best clothes I have at that stage of my life. And so the plan was, we're all going to get on this bus. We're all going to go down to this play. The play is probably two, three hours or something with intermission and then drive back from LA. It was this long day. But it's exciting. You're like, I don't know what to expect. This will be cool. I'm into this girl. Like, I'm going to spend some time with her. This will be fun. And on the way, we stopped at this, like, it's like a diner, like a, like a kind of like a chain restaurant, diner thing, whatever. And I don't even remember what it was called. So we stopped. The whole busload of, of teenagers gets out. We go in. We have this. We're just going to have dinner there before we go to the play, you know? And I'm sitting next to Eb and... I'm like, you know what, dude, let's just, let's just go for it tonight. I'm going to get a strawberry lemonade. Let's do this, you know? <clears throat> and so I order my food, I uh, order a strawberry lemonade, and the, the waitress, um, she, she's, you know, handing out all the food and stuff, or she's handing out the, the beverages. She comes, and she sets down my strawberry lemonade, and I'm looking at this thing, and I'm like, oh, like, I'm really excited to drink this, actually. This sounds really refreshing. <laughs> this is going to be great. And then she goes to, to set something else down, and she knocks over the strawberry lemonade. And you have to understand the trajectory was completely all over me. So from like my belly button to my knees is covered in strawberry lemonade. And the thing that was really frustrating about it was she just laughed and walked away. 
And I'm just like, she didn't say I'm sorry. She didn't, she didn't, she didn't even actually bring me another strawberry lemonade, actually. At the end, she comes to order, she comes to take our order maybe five minutes later. I'll tell you the story in a second, but I'll finish the, the key part of the story in a second. She comes to order, I'm like, I, I don't have an appetite. I'm really upset right now. I get the bill. She charged me for the strawberry lemonade that she never replaced after spilling it on my lap. I digress, okay? So this happens, okay? I'm with this girl that I'm into that I'm obviously trying to impress as like a teenager and stuff. I'm covered in strawberry lemonade in my nice clothes on the way to the play. We're an hour and a half from home probably at this point. So I'm like, okay, I gotta scramble. I gotta figure something out. So I go into the bathroom, you know, and I'm trying to like clean myself up. And here are my options. Wet paper towels and the hand dryer to like dry my pants. And I probably spent a good 10 minutes trying to clean myself. And I, like I said, all I had was wet paper towels. But here's the thing about wet paper towels and strawberry lemonade. Strawberry lemonade, I don't know if you know this, there's a lot of sugar in strawberry lemonade typically, like syrupy sugar, okay? And the thing about syrupy sugar is it gets really sticky, So my options, like I said, wet paper towels, hand dryer. So I'm trying to clean. And after 10 minutes, I'm realizing this sticky goo residue, it's not coming off with wet paper towels. I could dry my clothes, but I come to grips with the rest of this evening, all four hours of it, is going to be me with strawberry lemonade clearly all over my person and the discomfort of it being sugary and syrupy and sticky all over the place where you don't want it to be. It was awful. Why do I tell you that story? I think that's a picture of how we live our lives as people. I think we do all sorts of things to try to clean ourselves, to try to present ourselves as acceptable to those around us, and even sometimes to ourselves, and even sometimes to God. Whether it's what we wear, or even what we don't wear. Like, let's just be real for a second. Like, the gym is getting outrageous. Like, straight up. It's getting outrageous. Like, the clothes that people don't wear at the gym. I'm like, guys, please. Like, what are we doing here? Why, though? Like, let's diagnose it at a heart level. Why? Why? Because check out how fit my body is. I have a really fit body. I work really hard at cultivating this body. I need to show it off. Look at how fit my body is. I have a fit body, therefore I'm acceptable. It's just another opportunity. It's just another tactic. It's just another strategy to clean myself and present myself as acceptable. What about your, like people with their careers? Check out my career. Check out my career. Nobody works as hard as me. Like, I'm pretty successful. Therefore, I'm acceptable. I'm clean. Check out my kids. And my kids, they got good grades. Straight A's, honor roll. My kids are the bomb. They're well-behaved, especially when they're around you. They're well-behaved. You should see how athletic my kids are. They're excelling at 18 different sports, My kids are amazing, therefore, I'm acceptable. And I work really hard 
to make sure that my kids are amazing so that I am clean, I'm acceptable. How about this one? Check out how I live. Like, I do the right thing. I don't do the wrong things like those people. I do the right thing. And when I compare my life to others, like, I'm not as bad, therefore, I'm acceptable. Friends, we do all sorts of things in life to clean ourselves, to present ourselves as acceptable. But here's the thing. None of that stuff that we all do, myself included, none of that stuff that we all do, none of it actually cleans a person. Clean behavior today cannot wash the past away. But we like to pretend that it does. We like to justify it in our brains that it does so that we feel more comfortable, we feel better about things. Like, listen, this is... This is I'm kind of going on a rant here, but it's okay. This is like one reason why social media is such a huge part of our culture. Like consider this for just a second. Think about your feed, you know, your scroll, like your, uh, your news feed, your, your, whatever we scroll with. Like all that stuff, it's all curated. All of it. It's, it's, it's like I'm presenting the ideal version of my life for the world to see. But the problem with that is that showcasing the things that we're proud of does nothing to clean the parts that we're ashamed of. It's curated. It's all the great stuff. It's the greatest hits. It does nothing to clean the parts that we're ashamed of, like the secret parts, the sinful parts, the parts that you don't want people to see. We do all sorts of stuff to try to clean ourselves and make ourselves presentable, make ourselves acceptable. And all those things that we do, they're like wet paper towels in the bathroom, man. They don't actually clean you. That sticky residue of sin and shame, it remains. If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Friends, Jesus is making it clear here. Only Jesus can make a person fully clean. Past, present, and future. Only Jesus. Do you guys remember those commercials, Zestfully Clean? I'm like dating myself, so if you don't, I'm going to give you the jingle. Really, You remember the jingle in the, the commercial? You're not fully clean unless you're zestfully clean. Bow! And then the, the, the towel. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? If you're under like 28... 30, you probably don't get this. It was this idea of like, you're not clean unless you use that soap, the zest soap. You're not fully clean unless you're zestfully clean, okay? That's kind of the point here. This is kind of what Jesus is getting at, okay? No matter how hard you try, wet paper towels will only get you so far. Only Jesus can make a person fully clean because Only Jesus can actually remove that sticky residue of sin and shame that nothing else can. Are you with me with this? Okay. And by the way, that's the gospel. Gospel means good news, right? That's the good news that God himself offers to do for you and I what we could never do for ourselves. The impossible cleaning job. Like, Do you understand this 
offer that the gospel is. God himself offering to clean you, past, present, future, for good, to fully cleanse you, to forgive you completely everything, even the really bad stuff that will never make your Instagram feed. Like the really bad stuff. He sees it and he still offers to cleanse, to, to cleanse, to forgive. And not only does he offer to cleanse you, but he offers to keep you clean. This is a huge, this is the, like the, the, one of the things, the biggest things that changed my life. It's not just that like, God forgives me of my sin, but he, his offer is to keep me clean. His perfect life in my place and in your place. His, his, his sacrificial substitutionary death in your place, in my place. That whoever receives that gift receives that and trusts in it and trusts Jesus, they get credited with his cleanliness. Fully clean, fully righteous. He doesn't just offer to cleanse you and forgive you, although it's part of it, it's a huge, amazing thing, but he actually offers to keep you clean forever. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you know what no condemnation means? It means zero condemnation, like nothing. Fully clean, man. It's the gospel. It's Jesus' offer to every single one of us this morning, every day of your life. So Jesus' demonstration of service that we're reading about today, his demonstration of service, right, washing their feet. Guys, it's pointing to something far greater than physical cleansing, right? It's pointing to spiritual cleansing. And listen, many of us in the room, many of us in the room, we are spending so much time and energy trying to clean ourselves, to present ourselves as as acceptable in the eyes of others, in the eyes of God, and even sometimes in the eyes of ourself. I believe, it's my opinion, that Jesus would say the same thing to you that he did to Peter. If you find yourself in that place, what did he say? He said, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. So maybe, just maybe, this morning you find yourself in a similar spot that Peter's in, resisting Jesus' attempt to wash. Peter resisted at first, but then look what he said. What he says. Uh, Let's keep reading verse nine. After Peter's resistance, and then Jesus saying, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. This is Peter, verse nine. Simon Peter said to him, I love this, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus, I need it all. Like, I I need you to clean every part of me, especially the parts that no one sees. I need more. I'm desperate for you, Jesus. That's a proper response. That's a human being coming to grips with reality. I see you for who you are, Jesus. I see myself for who I am. I'm crying out to you. Don't just wash my feet. Wash it all, man. I need you. I need you. I need you. Let's keep going. Verse 10. One who has bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. 
verse 11, <clears throat> excuse me, for he knew who would betray him. This is why he said, not all of you are clean. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, do you know what I have done for you? Okay, really quickly. What Jesus does here is he tells us a few really important things, and I just want to touch on these really quickly, okay? The first thing that he, he shows us here is that no one, I mean no one, is above serving. Think about this for a second. Jesus is God. He's God, creator of all things, speaks things into existence. Jesus is God, right? He's the highest authority. On top of that, he's the greatest man to ever live. He is the most VIP ever, right? Jesus, and yet Jesus serves these disciples in such a dramatic way, identifying with the lowliest of slaves to serve them, the most menial of tasks. Do you know what this means? This means that you and I are not above serving. No matter how busy we are, no matter how important we are, no matter how valuable our time is, no matter all that stuff, we are, nobody is above serving, especially when it comes to the less desirable stuff, the stuff that's reserved in our minds for the lowly. That's for other people to do. One of the things I feel like for me personally is a really good gauge on whether or not I'm walking in this identity as a servant is whether or not I'm actually listening to people. One of the most practical ways that you can serve people, the people around you, is to simply listen. And when I say listen, I'm not talking about like hearing them and then formulating your thoughts about how you're going to input into the conversation. Do you know what I'm talking about? Let's be real for a second. Like there's the conversations when sometimes you're just like it's over your head and you're tuning out. There's also the conversations when you're like, you're listening to someone and all the while that you're talking, you are formulating your input that's gonna be fired back. It's like tennis. It's like, serve me because I'm ready to return this, man. Like, let's go. Like, do you know what I'm saying here? That's not what I'm talking about. We all do it. I'm talking about listening, man. I'm talking about listening for the exclusive um, reason of fully understanding them. And that's it. Like listening to them. It's one of the most practical ways that we can serve each other, friends. Because no one is above serving. No matter how busy we are, how important we are, no one is above serving. The next thing that it shows us here really quickly is that no one is below being served. A little bit of Bible trivia for you. Did you recognize how many pairs of feet Jesus washed? Twelve, bingo. Do you know what that means? Bingo. Jesus washed Judas's feet. Judas, his betrayer, for a little bit of pocket, pocket change. He washes Judas's feet. If Jesus serves his betrayer, that means no one is below being served. Nobody is below being served, okay? If you got a rude neighbor, they're not below being served. People who annoy you, does anybody have people in their life that annoy them? Okay, some of them are sitting next to you, I get it. Those of you who didn't raise your hand, it's like, I'm with them. Husbands are nudging their wives. Wives are nudging their husbands. Okay, yeah, people who annoy you, people who are different than you. Maybe they have a different 
worldview than you. Maybe they, maybe they don't believe that Jesus is Lord. Maybe they don't identify with the same political views that you have. People that are different than you. But what if they don't deserve it? Like, what if this, these people that are difficult for me, Tom, what if they genuinely are mean and they don't deserve it? Guys, service for the Christian, service for the Christian is not about whether someone deserves it or not. Like, that's not even part of the equation, ever. Why? Because the entire foundation of the Christian life is based on grace. It's literally the foundation of the structure, grace. That, that, that God graciously serves undeserving sinners like this guy. You guys know grace is getting what you don't deserve, right? You've heard me say this. Mercy is when you, you don't get what you deserve. Like I deserve to be punished and I don't get punished. That's mercy. Grace is when you get what you don't deserve. Namely, Blessing. Namely, God's grace and love and favor and just sonship. Like, you get it all. You get an inheritance that cannot perish, an eternal inheritance. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. It's that next crazy phase of mercy, even. Are you guys understanding what I'm saying with this? Great. But here's the thing. Our natural tendency is not to base our lives around grace. Our natural tendency is to build our lives around merit. You guys know what merit is. Merit is like what is deserved. Okay, so whether it's a report card or whether it's a salary, we as people, we've built our lives around this idea of merit. What you earn, what you deserve. But Jesus came to show us a totally different way to live. Where performance and merit are not the foundation, but love and service is not withheld based on performance, but rather on grace. And Jesus shows us that no one is below being served. So maybe there's people in your mind right now that the Spirit's bringing to you. In fact, I'd be willing to bet my life on it right now. Some of you have people in your mind that you and your mind are going, they do not deserve to be served. They've hurt you, they've betrayed you, there's, there's stuff there. And Jesus wants to free you from living that way. Let's keep going. Verse 12. Verse 12. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly, since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, listen to this, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you, what does it say? An example that you should also do just as I have done for you. Truly I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Pause for a second. Jesus is telling these disciples that for the disciple, okay, for the follower of Jesus, the disciple, serving fellow disciples is like non-negotiable. It's non-negotiable, okay? And he even leads the way in this. He sets the tone. He's the example that he says, right? Um, really quickly, I think this is important. I just want to like recognize God has genuinely blessed our church 
with specific men and women who have a very, very strong service gift. Like, as I say that, some of you are already picturing people. People that come to my mind in like two seconds. Brandon, he's not even in the room right now because he's serving us. All the time serving us in practical ways. Kevin Lachlan back there serving right now. All the time, man. Kevin Carpenter. I don't think he's in the room. People serving. My mom comes to mind. Many of you come to mind. I could spend here all day and going, these people like consistently, like on, a, on, like a, on a pretty intense level, are consistently serving us. Why do I bring that up? Bring them up? Because I think oftentimes, if you're anything like me, I tend to think like, I tend to compare myself to other people. Like for the worse. I'm not gifted like they are. I can't do what these people do. I can't, I can't do that. I, I'm not gifted like other people are gifted. And there's this comparison, right? I don't have a service gift like Brandon. Guys, in this passage, Jesus is demonstrating something. He's demonstrating that serving fellow disciples is a clear indicator of whether or not you're living as a disciple yourself. Like, that's not an excuse. It's a clear indicator of whether or not we're following in the footsteps of Jesus as his disciples. How and if we serve fellow disciples. And here's what's really cool that I want to highlight for a second. There's a promise of blessing if we do this. Did you catch it? It says in verse 17, if you know these things, he's talking about it being an example of serving. I've did this for you. You ought to do this for each other, right? If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Whenever you read promises like this, God's saying, if, then, take advantage of them. Like you want to, be, you want to be live a blessed life? You can listen to like prosperity preachers who are give, feed, your mouth, or feed your mind with garbage. There's a reality that God does want to bless you and he gives you specific things. If you want to be blessed, dude, there's an opportunity here. And let me just say this. One of the reasons that I believe why this church is such a blessing to so many of us is because of the ways that you are already serving each other. It's happening. It's, it's beautiful. I think about like our gospel communities, guys, and I, and I see just the, the practical ways that you're serving each other. People being radically generous with finances. What do you need? We got you. Serving financially. Whether it's a, a new baby or a tough time, being able to rally and provide meals, this is a big deal. If we can even up our game with this, what if, what if it became the kind of thing where every single time there was genuine need in someone's life, their gospel community like, filled up that meal train, not for like a week, but like two or three months, like radical service and generosity. So I'm watching you guys already do stuff like this. It's happening and it's beautiful. Finances, meals, places to live for free. Uh, people giving away cars to people who need cars. Uh, the, people helping each other move. That's a big one. No one wants to do that. It's, no one likes to move, let's be honest. It's an act of service. It's an act of love. What a privilege, right? Child care. Being able to help each other with childcare, raising our kids, babysitting our kids, giving, giving um, moms and dads date nights, all that stuff. Guys, hear me. This stuff is happening in our communities and it is beautiful. 
It's a blessing. It's a blessing. And it's not even just in our gospel communities. Like, even in our Sunday gatherings. Like, people are, those of you guys that have kids, people are with your children right now. They're serving, they're serving your kids, absolutely. They want to help disciple your kids. But they're serving moms and dads. Why? So they can be freed up to engage with God in a way where they're not having to, every five minutes, get someone water and take them to the bathroom and the, the, the realities of parenting. Simple acts of service like that. I think about um, our tech team. I think about the, uh, the, the worship team, the music team. Let me just say this. Tech, guy, tech men and women, it is the most thankless job in our gathering because the only time anybody ever looks back there is if something bad happens. If, if, it's a, if, it's a, if it's a flawless gathering, no one is ever like, tech team, gosh, did you see how nothing went wrong in that gathering? No. The, the people up front, whether it's a sermon or a, uh, a song or whatever, like they get a little bit more earthly glory. There's more treasures in heaven for you guys, I'm just saying. But like seriously, do you know what I'm saying? Like they're serving us right now. I know it sounds silly. They're throwing the words up here. They're putting the, the scriptures up here so that the word of God can be seen. If you don't have your Bible, you don't know the words of this song to where it can actually find its way into your heart. And the band, like, they, they use their gifts, their talent to serve us. God forbid our gathering times ever become like a production and a show, like to where the, the, what you're tuned in on is them. I know it would break their heart if that was what your perspective was and not that they were a mirror just pointing to the glory of God and serving you with an opportunity to fill your heart and your mind with prayers of praise. Hospitality set up, tear down environment. You're, you're being served right now. I want you to see this. You're being served by fellow disciples right now. So one of the reasons why I'm convinced our church is such a blessing to many of us, myself included, is because of how you serve each other. That's fulfilling this promise that Jesus is saying. You will be blessed. There is blessing if you do this. So if you desire to be blessed by God, jump in and serve, baby. Jump in and serve. For the the disciple, serving fellow disciples is non-negotiable and the result is blessings for all. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 18, I'm getting close, guys. Verse 18, I'm not speaking about all of you. This is Jesus. I know those I have chosen, but the scripture must be fulfilled. The one who eats my bread has raised his heel against me. I'm telling you now before it happens... Keep that in your back pocket. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. Okay, really quickly, I'm gonna fly through this. Jesus is referencing Judas's betrayal here. Okay, he's referencing Judas's betrayal. Uh, Herrick's gonna preach more on this next week so you won't wanna miss it. But I want you to notice why Jesus says he's bringing it up. Why is Jesus bringing up Judas's betrayal before it happens? It says, so that when it does happen, you will what? Believe. Okay? Far too often, we as people, we mistakenly view belief as though it's like a one-time thing that you turn on. Like it's a light switch, right? So an example, like, do you believe in miracles? Yes. Light switch on, forever on, forever, right? Like, we view belief as it's like a light switch. But listen to me, belief is not like a light switch. 
Belief is not like a light switch. That's not how belief works. Because belief can be influenced. You know people in your life that believed one thing when they were 16, and by the time they're 50, they believe something completely different. No matter what it is. Political? How many people, when you were younger, you're like, man, socialism actually makes a lot of sense. And the older you get, they're like, oh, I'm becoming more conservative. Like, it's like a, your beliefs change. It's, it, you're, you're, they're able to be influenced. Belief is not like a light switch. It's much more dynamic than that. How many of you guys enjoy camping? Like, you're just being out in the mountains, the wilderness. Anybody? I enjoy it. Um, it's not the most comfortable thing in the world, but my soul kind of comes alive. Like, I, I, I don't know what it is. I just, my, my inner being comes alive when I'm, like, in the mountains, for instance. And what do you do when you camp? What is the one thing that you have to do when you camp, as long as it's not, like, against the law? You've got to have a campfire, right? You got, there's something about whether you're four years old or 250 years old. You sit around the campfire, and you're like, I am, like, drawn to this flame right now, and it is warmth, and it is comforting, and it is nice, and the... You just, I've never met someone who's like, I don't like sitting around a fire. I've never met that person. I enjoy it, okay? Listen, what's the thing, the thing about a campfire is, is, is this. What happens if you stop putting logs on the fire? That flame's going to dwindle and eventually die, right? Your belief is way more like a campfire than it is a light switch, okay? The more fuel you put on the fire that the more the flame gets bigger, right? So if, if you want the flame of belief to burn, you have to keep adding logs. Jesus knows that belief is not like a light switch. He knows this. It's a flame that if it's not tended to, it flickers out. And that's why he says, I'm, I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he because belief is, you can influence belief. You can influence it. In other words, what Jesus is saying is the betrayal, the betrayal has the potential to jeopardize your belief in me, guys. When it goes down, the circumstances are going to be, you're going to spiral. It has, it has the potential to jeopardize your belief in me. And because belief is dynamic, it's a flame that needs continual fuel. Now, did you, did you notice, who did it say put it in Judas's heart to betray Jesus? The devil. Guys, there's a spiritual battle over what you will believe. You've got to know that. There's legitimately a cosmic, eternal, spiritual battle happening right now about what you are going to believe. And it happens all the time. <clears throat> and the devil says this. This is a tactic. Focus on your circumstances. Spend all your time looking at your circumstances, the betrayals, the discomfort. Check out your circumstances. Focus on your circumstances because here's why. If you focus on your circumstances, if you, can, if you can be under the influence of the devil, let me use that language, if you focus on your circumstances, they're either what? They're either amazing or, t- or, or not what you want. So if they're amazing, you just don't need God that much, do you? And if they're not what you want, God, where are you? Do you see the cunning, deceptive tactic of the enemy when you focus on your circumstances, what that does to your belief? Jesus says the opposite. He says, don't focus on your circumstances. When the betrayal comes, I'm telling you this now so that you'll believe when it happens, that you, your circumstances won't determine your belief. He says the opposite. Don't focus on your circumstances. He says what? Focus on me. Focus on what I say. Focus on what I have done. 
Focus on me. Because what's at stake is the flame of your belief. So, let's just take some helpful inventory here really quick. Let's not miss the spirit leading us as as a community, okay? Throughout your day, if you were to get a pulse throughout your normal day, would you say your mind is more preoccupied with circumstances or on what Jesus has said and what he's done? Because you can just reverse engineer what your beliefs are going to be. Just by, throughout my day, am I more preoccupied with my circumstances or on what God says about himself, about me, about the world, and what he's done? Focusing on circumstances will lead the flame to dying out. Focusing on what God says and what he's done adds fuel, adds logs to the fire. Are you with me? Okay. Final verse, verse 20. We're almost done. Truly I tell you, whoever receives anyone I send receives me. And the one who receives me receives him who sent me. Okay, Jesus is basically equating his disciples with ambassadors, with like with representatives, right? And who do they represent? God, absolutely. You see this, this is Jesus' words, you see this. They represent God, okay? So listen to me. I want you to understand at a deeper level why we do what we do, especially in our Sunday gatherings. Whenever the church gathers, absolutely. But I want you to understand why we do what we do when the church gathers on Sunday, on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday, on Saturday, all of it, okay? Um, You guys know typically we'll have a ministry team come up here, right? People to pray for you. They're making themselves available to what? To serve you. To serve you. The worship team we just talked about, they come up here, not to show you how gifted they are, but why? To serve you. It's a rotation of people, always. To serve you. To facilitate God ministering to you, how? Through them. So who's doing the ministry? Yes, God, the Spirit, through his people, through his representatives, through his ambassadors, who are presenting themselves to be servants, to be servants the way that Jesus was. You're seeing this. Guys, that's why I'm preaching right now. To serve. Here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced that many of us in the room this morning you need to receive. You need to receive the hands of Jesus through his ambassadors. God's serving you through his people. But listen, it's up to you whether you receive it or not. God makes himself available. He washed Judas' feet. God comes, meet him halfway. It's up to you whether or not you're going to receive it at a spiritual level or not. You might enjoy the melody of the song, but it's different if it touches you inside. If you actually receive, you let God serve and minister to you through his ambassadors. Because how many of you guys know this? You can receive it or you can resist it. And you can be in the room 
and not receive, but resist. You can be singing the song even and still be resisting, not opening your heart, not being totally transparent and honest before your Father in heaven who already knows all the realities of your past, your present, and your future, who sent the Son to cleanse you once and for all, to give you the perfect cleanliness of Jesus that none of us deserve because it's grace. You guys know sometimes when people come up here with the microphone and they're like, hey, I had this like, picture when we were worshiping and, or I have this scripture that I feel like God's highlighting and I feel like, I feel like God's putting someone on my heart who might be struggling in a certain way and he, he wants to meet with you in that. You guys, this, you, you know what I'm talking about? What's happening there? It's God's attempt at serving you through an ambassador. And it's up to us whether or not we receive that and engage or we resist it. Oh, that's probably somebody else. What if people saw that I walked up there? Tom and Eric just called, some, called people forward for prayer who are having a hard time in life or who are struggling in this area or who need like to confess sin. There might be people in the room might think that I sin. Do you guys see my point with this? You can receive or you can resist. And there's grace for those who resist. We see it in Peter here. You're not going to wash my feet, Jesus. If I don't wash you, Peter, wash all of me, Jesus. Wash all of it. I receive. I want more. I don't care who knows. It's your choice whether you engage and receive. Truly, I tell you, whoever receives anyone I send receives me, and the one who receives me receives him who sent me. Guys, this also implies that when you resist an ambassador, you resist an ambassador, you resist an ambassador, you resist an ambassador, you resist an ambassador. When you resist an ambassador, it's not only them that you're resisting because they come in the name of the Lord. Why? For you. For you. Not to get something from you. We're not counting how many people come forward for prayer. We're not counting it. No, it's for you. God wants to serve you. It's the kind of God that he is, and he demonstrates it over and over and over and over and over again. Some of you need to receive this morning. Others of you, it's time for you to get in the game, man. It's time for you to suit up. Get in the game. Step into your purpose to live as an ambassador, to serve others in light of God himself serving you. Okay? Um, I'll call the band up. I'll close with this. I'm almost done, guys, I promise. You guys okay? You with me? Yeah? Okay. Um, I'm going to personalize this. I want my life to be a life that's marked by service. I do. Like, un- unapologetically, I, this, this has been such a challenging message for me to prep. Because as I read this and I examine my life, I'm like, I have a long way to go. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace that covers me, that beckons me to follow you more closely in an ongoing way. Thank you, because I have a long way to go, man. But I want my life to be a life marked by service, that it would be like a massive part of who I am, that if, like my identity, like the question I asked you guys in the beginning about making your list, I'm basically just, what's your identity? What describes you? What's the first things that come to your mind to describe you? I want my identity, I want service, like a servant to be right there at the top of the list about who I really am. Um, 
We're in this series in John, right? Do you guys remember John chapter two? Do you remember the wedding at Cana? The water to the wine, right? You guys know this story? So water to wine, Jesus' first miracle, right? Do you remember how it went down? Let your mind go back there. Do you remember how it went down? There's the, there was these, there, there's this wedding. The, the wine runs out at the wedding, which is a big faux pas, right? It's not supposed to happen. There's these massive um, jars of water that they would ritually use to, to wash themselves, right? The Jews would use. So you have these massive jars, six of them, I believe, right? Yeah, six. <clears throat> and Jesus, he had specific people go and fill those jars with water and then draw that water and deliver it to the guests. And it was, in, it was, it was, it was when it was being delivered to the guests that it miraculously turned into wine. Do you remember this? And the people in the, 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 people in the wedding are like, dude, you, people usually use, use the best wine first and then use the cheaper, less good wine at the end. But you're bringing out the really good stuff at the end. Like, Guys, do you remember? Like, <clears throat> do you remember the specific people that Jesus, who he had fill those jugs and deliver the water and it turned into wine? Who was it? The servants. The servants. So, Jesus performed his first miracle through who? Literally through the hands of his servants. How many of you know he still operates the same way? I don't know about you. I want that in my life, man. I want that to be character. I want that to be characteristic of the life that I live. That if anybody I come in contact with would say, "Man, you know what? He couldn't shut up about Jesus, and he just served me. Couldn't shut up about being served by Jesus and then serving me. I want my life to look like that." a life marked by being served by Jesus and then being used by him to serve others in spectacular, maybe even miraculous ways. No one is above serving. No one is below being served. And in this passage, we see that Jesus is, our series, right? Jesus Jesus is this humble servant who invites us to follow in his footsteps. It's part about being a disciple, a Christian someone who's learning to enjoy, obey, and operate like Jesus. Have you ever prayed the prayer, God, make me more like you. I want to be more like you, Jesus. Hopefully you have if you're a Christian. Do you realize how bold of a prayer that is? Do you realize how bold of a prayer that is? God, make me more like you, a servant. The lowly tasks. Maybe even the tasks where no one sees and I don't get credit for it. And it doesn't have the glory of being a preacher or maybe even being a worship leader. That's a bold prayer. It's a courageous prayer. And I just wonder if this morning, I wonder if there's more of us who have the courage to actually pray that prayer. Jesus, make me more like you. Make me a servant. I want to be like you. courage of following Jesus into a life of service. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do something different today. If that's you, 
that's you. If you feel like the spirit is, is, is stirring your heart and you have the courage to pray that prayer, Jesus, make me more like you. I wanna be a servant. I'm gonna ask you to come up here right here. I'm gonna pray over you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray like a prayer of commission over those of us who actually have the courage and boldness to pray that. And I don't want you to come up unless you really mean it. No judgment. No judgment at all. I'll wait. Yeah, just all right here is fine. just a moment more. I'm, uh, the window will close. I'm just saying that, okay? Okay. So here's what I'm going to do. For those of you that are putting action what's happening in your heart. That's what it looks like to act in faith, to trust in Jesus. You're coming forward for a prayer of blessing, coming forward for God to serve us and minister to us in a specific way. I'm just simply going to pray. There's no power in me. I'm going to pray and ask the Spirit of God to do something that none of us can do in our own strength, and that is transform our desires to come in alignment with the desires of Jesus, to live a different life, a life rooted and based in service. You with me? Okay. Um, might be weird. I'm going to ask you if you're comfortable with this or if you're okay with this. Just touch, maybe touch the shoulder around you. I want, there has to be unity here, okay? There's power in this. And I'm just going to pray. <clears throat> so right now, um, we posture our hearts, Holy Spirit, to receive from you that with which we cannot conjure up of ourselves. We open our hearts right now, Holy Spirit. We invite you. Give him just a moment, okay? part of our being, mind, body, and soul, receive your service to us. That your blood and your body, you giving yourself, it makes us clean. We get your cleanliness. We get your rightness, your righteousness. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of everything that you've done. Because of who you are. So I pray over every person here, Holy Spirit, open their hearts to receive greater depths of your service to them. It was personal. Your love for them is real.
And as we receive that, Holy Spirit, inspire us to when we think about ourselves, the first thing that comes to mind is, I've been served. Good God, have I been served. And now I just want to serve. I just want other people to experience what I've experienced. I want to be that ambassador not from my glory, not so that people would be impressed with me, not as an attempt to clean myself, but simply as a worship-filled response, a life of praise with my body, mind, and soul so that other people would experience you, God. Would you do that in us as a church? Would you do that in every man, woman, and child who stepped forward today? Fill us, Holy Spirit. Come upon us. We need you. We want you. We're inviting you now. All of us here inviting you now. Do more. Do more. We want more. Wash every part of us. Every part of us. No condemnation. All of it gone. And make us servants. We want to be like you, Jesus. We want to be like you, Jesus. We want to receive, not resist. And we want to give. We want to serve. Thank you for how you're leading us. We love you, Jesus. And we all pray this in your name. Amen.